um, when we enter into intercessory warfare worship, just release all the children, bless you kids as you go to your class. We need to realize that we're not doing the fighting, we're doing the worshiping. And the Lord fights our battles. And that's so important. That's where it gets off the rails when uh, worshipers think that they've got to fight. We've got to worship. I, uh, <laughs> I'm blown away, church, by what God's up to right now. And that we get to be a part of it. If this is your first time at Embrace or you haven't joined us in a while, we're studying the book of Isaiah. God spoke to me very clearly during this time of uh, COVID that he's raised up a remnant, a remnant within the remnant. It's a special forces unit. It is David's mighty men. It is Gideon's army. And um, this special forces remnant, he's raised up. And in this time in history, it's not church as usual. It's not just another sermon about how to live. It is a very strategic, prophetic time. And God is speaking very specific to the church. Very specific th instructions. But only those that are listening will, li will hear them. But I believe that he's raised up this remnant, given them in, in, in specific instructions on to what to do and how and when. He's also telling us what's happening in this world now and why. And I believe this remnant is called the branch of the Lord. And each week I'm going to be giving you, as I already have, special prayer targets to pray specific from heaven to earth in the moment. God is giving instruction to His church. The battle is waging. The spiritual battle has never been greater. Everything hangs in the balance. This we know. Amen? And each week, God's giving us specific prayer targets, enemy positions of lies. God wants His church to demolish in prayer, in intercession. And God has said, I will use this remnant to turn the tide. And we believe that here at Embrace. If you recall, in Isaiah chapter 4, I taught about the revelation that God speaks of in Isaiah chapter 4 to His church today of the significance of corporate worship. And more to the point, He prophesies through Isaiah that this is what would be eliminated for the advance of the enemy, and that's exactly what's happened. It's all but been eliminated as churches have shut down. We know how to listen and feed on a message online, but most of the church, 99.9% .9 of the church, does not know how to engage in corporate worship online. More to the point, they don't. And that is why we're in the mess that we're in. And then in Isaiah chapter 5, God introduces a prophetic revelation of intercessory worship, a specific kind of worship for warfare, spiritual warfare, that the remnant 
must enter into in this time. If you've missed those messages, we've got our podcast back online. You can download the app, Embrace Simply Jesus. You can go to the podcast or you can go to our website. I encourage you to listen to every one of those Isaiah messages because God is speaking to his church. And if you are a prayer warrior, we need to pray very targeted, very specifically of things in the spirit realm that are happening, that God is engaging his remnant in. Right after I taught that message, (laughs) the very next morning, out of the blue, God says to me, Samuel, you will go to Washington, D.C. I'm like, what? Now, I had had heard, as many of you I'm sure have, of September 26, the major things that were happening to major offices, a major prophet, a governmental prophet, and a governmental evangelist independently were called to D.C. on the same day. Spirit and truth were called to D.C. on the same day. And I'd heard of it, and I wondered if I was to go, and we talked about it, and it just didn't work out. And I said, okay, well, it'd be really cool to be there, but I'll watch it online. But Monday, right after I gave that message, God said to me, pack your bags and go. So I packed my bags. I booked a flight. I got a hotel, and I went not knowing what would happen. One of the apostles of this house in worship has been with us a very long time. Maury Brochet had that same calling. We connected, and we realized we were both being called to this prophetic strategic time in history. And so we went. I have to tell you that I believe what happened on the 26th will go down in history as the turning point in the 21st century. It was that significant, church. It was that significant, and if God tarries and our history becomes part of the history of the church, which it will, for many generations to come to listen and write about it will be known as the turning point, as the moment when things shifted. Out of birth, out of tens of thousands of hours of prayer and intercession and corporate gathering by Lou Engel, this was an event like no other. An estimated 200,000 believers came together. It was a sight that I was so moved to tears and emotion and encouragement from every end of this country came together for this country, for this time. And all these expressions came to the center of power in the United States on the 26th. And it was a Joel chapter 1, verse 14 moment. It was a Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 moment. Let me read these scriptures to you. They're in the context. You're going to see the connection with what I want to teach on today out of Isaiah chapter 5. It says this, Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. 
Gather the elders and inhabitants to the land of the house of the Lord your God. Cry out to the Lord. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return, the Lord says, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. In this moment, I, 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 there, I have a lot of video, and a lot of it didn't get translated last week, but that's okay. We'll, I'm going to just feather it in. But this moment I want to share with you, it was the moment that heaven came down. It was the most powerful thing I've ever experienced, and I can only partially capture it on my phone, but you'll get a sense of what happened in that moment when the prophet read this word, this word out of Joel, which the entire Jewish nation all over the world, synagogues all over the world, on that day, on that day, read that same passage. Take a look at what happened in the heavenly realm when the church rose up. Take a look. Wow. I don't know if you heard, but there was a, it, everybody there, and, it, and this was one of the two events, and of course this was the uh, God bringing together the charismatic Pentecostal church while this was happening on one side of the Washington Mo Monument, on the other side where the Lincoln Memorial was, was the same, about 100,000 uh, non-charismatic Pentecostal believers gathering. And God had them on both sides of the Washington Monument at the same place at the same time. That's so God. And um, while this was happening, there was a high-pitched horn that came. Everybody looked up because it, it joined us in that moment. And if you, and if you listen, you'll hear it. It's, it. It rises above all the other shofars. And it's like heaven opened up and the angels let us hear heaven. It was an unbelievable moment. And then... Uh, we uh, marched with Franklin Graham, and, uh, and at the moment that those that were on one side of the divide back in this country, the beginning of the Jesus People Movement, by a great godly man who didn't realize when he said, I'm drawing a line in the sand. If you want Bible teaching and church planning, you come with me. If you want worship, and the sign gifts, you go with John. And from that point, it's what's happened in the church. But as that whole thing unfolded, these two groups met in the middle. It was the most amazing, powerful time I could have imagined ever as these groups met. There was a, there was a minute where God said, it's, this is all my bride. I love them all. I love all of them. A lot of other things happened, I guess, that were really profound. The first day we were there on Friday, we, uh, we just knew we were to walk around and God would do things, and we had no idea what he would do. And, of course, D.C. is pretty boarded up. It's, it's, uh, it's sad what's happened to our nation's capital because of the riots. Fences around all of those monuments of our history boarded up 
what used to be clear access to the, the, the front of the White House. It's, uh, it, was, it was really sad, but there was a peace over the city in the midst of storms of the previous several weeks and months. And so we walk in, and within 10 minutes of walking into what's called Lafayette Park, all of a sudden I hear this voice, you there. And I look, pointing at me, and up walks Cindy Jacobs. I'm supposed to meet you. Tell me why. I cannot. I cannot. I just. So I, I, so she brings me over. She was having a prayer gathering and had me pray as one of the people that prayed. And I shared, uh, you know, that I'm part of Papa Che's tribe and, uh, and, and all of that. And she, and she looks at me and, uh, I, I just said I was part of her, his tribe and, and I was, uh, you know, uh, uh, ordained and commissioned as an apostle through him. And she looks at me and says, you're California dreaming. I said, whoa, how'd she know that? You know? And, um, so it was a profound moment and we left and then later that day we're at the Supreme Court steps and I hear Sam and she runs over and she says I'm supposed to see you again and she starts prophesying over me and then prophesying over Ori and it was a powerful moment and uh, all that to say uh, I asked her if she'd come speak at our church she said absolutely so Cindy Jacob will be coming. God is on the move in powerful, amazing ways. Now, last time I spoke, I spoke about the power of this intercessory prophetic, this warfare, this worship for warfare, and that's what God showed me in Washington, D.C. It was a model of that, but I, I just want to review a few things, and then I want to press in to each of these as I shared that I would. Remember, the, the whole point of this kind of worship is how we march around the walls of our Jericho, which is our state. How we march around the walls of our country so that the walls of lies and tyranny and injustice fall. And, 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 and if you recall, it, out of the book of Isaiah chapter 5, God has Isaiah sing this prophetic word in these three major stanzas. One is the song of the vineyard, which is verse 1 to 7. The other is the song of woes, which is verse 8 to 25. And the third is the song of judgment, which is verse 24 to verse 30. And, and each of these are songs that Isaiah sings. So this chapter, he's singing, if you can imagine. And as he's singing, God is saying, I am giving a prophetic mandate to a future generation. And I believe that's us. To do the same. So I want to just unpack each of these categories of songs and unpack when does worship become intercession. See, we know a lot about intercession for prayer, but do we know what intercession looks like in worship? That's what I want to unpack. So if you would open up back to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. Translations are pretty close, but I'm going to read from that one, Holy Spirit, as we now unpack your word. 
we stand ready for this assignment to intercede in our worship for our cities, our counties, our state, our country, to join the solemn assembly that birthed this very thing on September 26th. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, let me sing a song for the one I love called My Lover and His Vineyard. My beloved planted a vineyard on a very fertile hill. First he dug up its ground and hauled away its stones so he could plant within it its choicest vines. He built a watchtower in the middle of it and carved a wine press out of its rock. He fully expected it to bear good grapes, but instead it produced only worthless wild grapes. So now, you residents of Jerusalem and people of Judea, you be the judges. Then I go down to verse 7 just to remind us of this. For Israel is the vineyard of Yahweh, the commander of angels' armies, and the people of Judah are the garden of his delight. Amen. See, to be clear about this prophetic intercessory worship, which God uses in the spirit realm of his church as the spiritual warfare rages in front of us, he, he tells us that this vineyard he's talking about is the vineyard of Yahweh, the commander of angels' armies. Who's that? Well, that's Jesus. And it says, and these people of Judah that he's talking about are prophetically speaking of are his garden of his delight. They're the garden of his delight because they're the believers, those that have received him as Lord and Savior. See, so this passage, this prophetic act in the church in this time is for us, the believers, to speak over the church. And God is saying, my remnant intercede in worship and today I'm going to unpack the songs of the vineyard, which are the songs of love. And, and I want us to understand, when do the songs of love that we worship to become intercession? What is the shift that we need to make to turn our songs of our love for him and his love for us? What's the shift we need to take intentionally for it to become intercession? Because we know that intercession is an intentional act. It's, an int it's not a random act. It's a very intentional act of interceding on behalf of the Lord God, the things of the kingdom over the human condition. So Isaiah says, these songs of intercession express, the first thing he says is they express our deep love for him and his un un unending love for us. In other words, this sound of intercession, what, what he's saying is, is that the first thing we need to understand about it is that it sends forth the sound of the Spirit of the things of God's heart in worship. See, just like in, the nat see, just like in prayer, we send forth the commands the commands of God, the, the, the truths of God, God's word, when we pray, when we sing an intercessory worship, what's actually happening in the spirit realm is the sound of the spirit, of our voice welling up, gets sent out. 
And as that last song was that we sung, which was a good song, an intentional song, game over for the enemy. Just done. But what is this kind of worship of his love? Well, I, I propose to you, it's simply this. It's the kingdom principle of romantic worship. Romantic worship. And, and, and I, I, I want I, I to understand what that really means. And now, if, if any of you that have been here a long time know that I preach a lot about worship, right? I preach a lot about worship. I pre- preach a lot about his love. Man, I do that time and time and time and time again. Right before the pandemic, we came out of a, a four-month series on worshiping him in spirit and truth. And, and it was an intense time, you recall, that God just revealed several prophetic things. But this principle of romantic worship is, is, is birthed in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. It is this focus in our worship of this. God is my lover, and we are his vineyard. See, he's my lover. I am in love with him. He's my lover, and we as people are his vineyard. It's a, it's a, it's a worship that is this, as a divine war, as a divine romance with God. Now, look, this divine romance as we worship in this way, it, it never diminishes the glory of God. Never. It never gets perverted to anything in the natural realm. It's this divine romance that honors his glory, elevates it, and extols it. When that happens, it becomes intercession because al- there's an alignment with the one word that defines God. Love. There's a lot of reasons we worship. There's a lot of ways we worship. But those that are his remnant are called to this intentionality because they know that there is a battle waging. There's a return that is happening. And that there is a a select group of people called into this battle not only in intercessory prayer which is critical in this day intercessory prayer and intercessory worship air and ground forces going together see it's this notion that god is my lover he's my lover it it, it, it it's a genuine expression of our love for him not as a distant God, but as our closest lover. It's a, it, it, it genuinely invites him deeper into our hearts and minds. Not out of, listen, not out of obligation, but out of passion. This is the difference. See, because there's two types of worship styles that a believer enters into. I believe. You could argue that. There could be many, but it, it, I, I really believe it. It boils down to these two kinds of worship styles. One, that is the Levitical worship style, and one 
That is the divinic worship style. David's worship style, the law's worship style. And one comes from the seed of man, the other comes from the order of Melchizedek. And God is returning. Divinic worship. There are some that know this worship. I know many in this room. But the church as a whole does not. And the signs of where the church is today are examples of that. Because the church has stopped worshiping in this country. Why? Because it is so steeped in Levitical worship, it is forgotten. It's the most important thing we do together. The most important. Far beyond anything else we do, far above anything else we do, is worship together. It is the one thing when we leave this earth that we'll do for eternity. See, obligation focuses on what he's done for us. Passion focuses on who he is to us. And, well, this is unknown. This is known. What is the fruit that it has produced in this country? Hey, man, it's a virus. That's all it is. We can do everything online. And we're going to just do that until the governor says it's okay to meet inside again. That's it. Worship is simply just, hey, just watch it online. You're cool. Do your own worship. We're good. You know, God's God, and that's all we need to do. See, the worship of obligation, it's, it's, it's not intercession because it's all about works. It's steeped in this notion of Levitical worship practice, which, look, for a long time was preached a lot even in pentecostal churches but i realized something that had to break off that there was something even greater in worship and what god revealed to me when i went to dc and what he reveals what he's revealing to the remnant is that it we got so steeped in a certain type of worship that it turned in subtly went from true north to north and it no longer was at the heart of Christ what he died for on the cross. His lineage, which is in the order of Melchizedek, through David. It's God, the more you do for me, the more I worship you. God, the more I do for you, the more I worship you. The emphasis is how much I owe you for what you've done for me. Now, look, as an individual, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. In your private worship, for what he's done for you, greater things. It's Thank him for that. But song after song after song reminds us it's not because of what you've done, it's because of who you are. Song and song and song, and we sing these songs, but they, they, don't, they don't really register. And this prophetic revelation, I believe, 
is, a, is, is critical to understand in the difference between worship and intercession, intercessory worship. It's this notion of, I feel obligated to worship you. I have a debt to pay you back, so I'm coming to you, I'm coming to church for that because I'm obligated to come to church and I'm going to worship you because I'm obligated to worship you. See, obedience without love is obligation. It's about love. We know this. And, and so when this becomes the motivation and the church gets shut down, most everybody says, okay, I'll, we'll just go online. What about worship? Yeah, well, it, we'll figure it out. Just do it online. Because it's one of those things we do. Not the most important thing. Well, yeah, it's important. But why aren't you meeting? Because God says, every passage about worship, corporate worship, in the book of Revelation all the way through the Old Testament, they gathered together and praised the Lord. They gathered I wonder why when governor states churches are not essential, how many Christians didn't even bat an eye? Well, he doesn't really mean that. See, obligation says, I know I need to, I know I need to go, I need to risk my life to go to a grocery store. I know I need to risk my life to go to a hardware store. I know I need to risk my life to go to a doctor's office. I know I need to risk my life to go to an auto care center. I know I need to risk my life to get in an airplane and travel, but certainly not to go to church. And if you really believe church is essential, then you would attend. Doesn't get any simpler than that. See, but that's what obligation does in worship. That's what obligation does in worship. It just says it's just one of the things we do. Oh, brother, no, it's really important. Yeah, it's so important, you're still shut down. That's how important it is. See, the difference with passion and obligation is simply this and this is why this is what has always been hear me church this is what's always been the case with the remnant god's used the mighty army of people god's used this is what it's always been i'm willing to risk my life for the kingdom always sooner or later everyone's going to get covid just a matter of time Nobody wants it. Nobody wants it, obviously. We're doing what we can. But worship of passion says that I will risk my life for you, my very life. I will risk my dignity for you, my very dignity. I will, I will return. I will return to the heart of the matter. And it begins and it ends in worship. That my first breath and my last breath and my new breath 
will be in worship. I will not be in heaven in teaching because I'll have perfect revelation. I'll be doing one thing for eternity, worshiping him. Not because for what he's done. That's right. The song. See, love says, now this is the heart of intercessory worship of love. This is the heart of it. Satan, you took away my lover's vineyard and he wants it back. And I will worship until it's back. There's a great movie, I don't know if you saw it, Liam Neeson. There were three of them called Taken. Did any of you see that movie, Taken? It was, a, it was an intense movie, this movie Taken. It, there were three of them, they were so good. And it was about his daughter being taken into, into the sex trade, sex trafficking realm. And it was very enlightening about that realm, which, oh, by the way, in this state, is out of control, completely out of control. And in the movie, he talks about what a father will do to go rescue his child. What a father will do to go rescue his child. I mean, it's just, this movie just is this intense thing of everything this man does to rescue his child and then his wife in the next one and it just goes on and on and on and see this is the worship of the remnant I will worship because my passion is for the things you're passionate for my passion is just you and I declare I, I you are my lover I know I'm your lover but I'm saying you're my lover and I'm doing this because I know how deeply it breaks your heart that your vineyard has been ransacked. Ransacked. All over this nation. And your pastors have been deceived. All over the good men and women. All over this nation. Well, hell is breaking out. It's no coincidence. It's no accident. It's not just one of those things that happens. The depth of the lies only comes from one place. Because there's only two fathers, the father of truth and the father of lies. Which one will we listen to? Which one will be worshipped? I'd never worship the father of lies. Stop worshipping God and guess what happens? Intercessory worship, the song of the vineyard, is an expression of his love. It's a return to divinic worship. This is the kind of worship that was officially birthed in the, the Bible by King David. Did you know that? I want to tie these together for you in this time we have. Oh, I'm just reminded. Bless our translator. I'm going so fast. You're doing a good job, Carla, back there. Thank you. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, King David, if you recall the story, he, uh, the presence of God was mishandled by God's people, the Ark of the Covenant. And it ended up in enemy's territory. 
And of course, there was a, you know, a lot of stuff happened and they finally said, we got to give this thing back. But this principle of God's people mishandled the presence of God. Worship. What it actually became. And it was in this time that King David says, I've got to bring the presence of God back for all the people. And in this time, something happens. Look what David does. This is this point of this birth of a certain type of worship that became intercession that was to be the way all worship happened all the time. Not just in times of crisis, but it was to be the norm of worship. And somehow it got shifted to what we've made it. And 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, listen. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. Now, 30,000 was a drop in a bucket to the massive army he had. This notion of elite troops was the remnant, were the, were the fighting force, the elite fighting force, the best of the best, the ones that would be first to give their life for the things of God, the very first ones. And it says, he led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of what? The Lord of heaven's armies. Who's that? Jesus, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Now look, King David brought it back to the people. It was the beginning of the great first return and the great awakening of God's people. And it was birthed in this notion of intercessory worship that King David modeled. Look what happened because, look, just like today, it was so difficult, a journey, that his great men would, would die along the way. They accidentally touched it. They mishandled it and They'd be gone. They'd be dead. So David realized how difficult this battle was that he had. And, and because it was such a difficult battle, it says this in 2 Samuel 6, 13 and 14. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. David started worshiping and sacrificing. Every six steps. Worshiping and sacrificing. Worshiping and sacrificing. This wasn't just some nilly-dilly thing. I mean, it was an intense time of both. And it says, David sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf, and David danced before the Lord with what? All his might, wearing a priestly garment. This was the beginning of, of divinic worship, this intercessory worship. This was the, the true return. This was the birthing of a return back to the worship of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And then it says in verse 15, when he finally got there, so David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of the ram's horn, there was an awakening. And what did David birth? Intercessory worship. That's what was birthed. 
Two things about this worship, and I'll close with this. It's worship that doesn't hold back. David danced before the Lord. He didn't hold back here. The king of Israel, the strong man, the visible man, the well-known man, David killed his tens of thousands, right? So consumed with his love for God and God's love for him, he didn't care about any other thing. David's total worship challenges us. See, here's the thing about what happens, what's happened in the church. This is, this is what God wants to break off. What the devil is intended for evil, God wants to use for good. This is what's happened. That the church, so many in the church have, are so reserved and so self-conscious that we worship God in a bulletproof cage of self-conscious reservation. And then people come into a place like this and they're like, oh, this is one of those churches. I don't think I can stay here. Oh, this is out of control. This, is, this isn't what you do. Because worship, worship needs to be in this bulletproof cage of self-conscious reservation. In other words, this notion of it's bulletproof. I ain't stepping out of it. And if you do, that's you, but not me. But that's not, that's, that's not what you do. Rules, regulations, this is good, that's not good, this is good, Levitical worship. It's is kind of steeped in that. Divinic worship. <laughs> the remnant will not. They worship with their heart, their soul, and their strength. This worship is God-centered, always growing de- deeper, ever deeper. It's not out of control. It is in passion to God. It doesn't bring attention to itself. That's when it gets weird. All the attention is up because he deserves it. And the second thing about this worship is that it causes a return. See, when you worship this way, you and I are friends with God and and God will then show you in me. Here's what I'm about to do to this Sodom. And we will be able to say, but God, if there's only one, will you save it? If there's just one, because we're his friend. Because we don't care what the world thinks. See, the characteristics of this kind of worship, it's a, it's a return to the roots of messianic movement, to our Jewish roots in praising God in, a new, in the new covenant. It's a praise that involves all kinds of numerous instruments, singing, hubronic songs, prophetic songs, hands lifted, chanting, clapping, processions, great joy, and the most unique characteristic of this kind of worship is dancing. And this is what King David showed us. So church, our call in this house is to stand in the gap for the Big C Church. We don't 
We don't condemn any of our brothers who've decided not to open. We do know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he doesn't contradict his word. And his word says, do not forsake the fellowship. That's what his word says. That's what his word says. And so until every single one of them are awakened, we will worship in the gap for them. In songs of the vineyard, in this passion, for this is our calling, and this is when worship becomes intercession. Let's stand. Yeah. We're going to declare over this region, this county, over every one of the dear brothers, leaders of churches. We're going to worship the songs of the vineyard, the songs of love over them, over our cities, over our county, over our state, over our nation. We're going to worship this over President Trump and, and uh, Melania Trump. Just got a report that Melania has gotten sicker. We're just going to worship that over them. We're going to worship songs of the vineyard, the songs of the love. Let's do it, church. Let's worship.